Good morning, Chili Bible. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are forever indebted for a Savior who came in fulfillment of your word to die on a cross to bear the sins of the world, to bear my sin, and to bear the sin of all people who would look to him in trust. Father, as we stand at the pinnacle of the story of the Gospel of John, and we see the resurrected and victorious Lord, Father, I pray that we would see your great power at work, that we would see the price of our redemption fully paid, and that we would rejoice in the fact that Christ is alive, and therefore so one day will, will we be as well. Father, I pray that today would be a, a sobering time, a time of reflection, but also a time to celebrate what Christ has accomplished for us in the cross. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are all the way up to John chapter 20 today. Uh, so if you've got, uh, got your Bible, flip over with me to John chapter 20. This is the top of the mountain. Uh, John has been walking us through the life of Jesus and we saw him crucified last week. This week we see him resurrected, the resurrection of the Son of God. And uh, we get eloquent testimony of the empty tomb of the risen Savior. And we also get what John says is the point of it all, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. So I want to soak our souls in the beautiful truths of this chapter. Uh, so let's, uh, let's begin reading there, beginning verse 1, chapter 20 of John's Gospel. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him and went into the tomb he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on jesus head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead and then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, it is clear from the scriptures that Jesus died on Friday afternoon. That day was preparation day. It was the day uh, right before 
the Passover celebration would officially begin there in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus dies at the time that the Passover lambs are slaughtered in preparation for the Passover feast that begins at sundown that night. And that celebration, since it was also the Sabbath, would continue from dark on Friday until dark on Saturday. That's how Jews counted their days, was from the end of what we would consider the end of one day to the end of another from evening until the next evening and so by the by sunday morning it is is the first time you do, can't travel on the sabbath you're not to do any work on the sabbath so if you're a pious jew as mary magdalene and the other disciples were you didn't go anywhere on saturday because it's a high holy day and so Sunday morning is the first opportunity that any of them would have to go and visit the tomb of Jesus. Now, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea have buried him in Joseph's tomb on Friday afternoon. And they have wrapped his body. Uh, Jewish burial practice at this time, they would take linen cloths, they would fold the arms over the chest like this, and they would wrap the body around the shoulders all the way down to the feet. And then they would have a separate cloth that they would wrap around the head like a turban. And then they would seal up the tomb and they'd leave the body sitting on a ledge. And not to be gross, but they would wait until the body had rotted completely to bones. About a year later, they would open up the tomb and they would gather up the bones and they would put them in what was called an ossuary, a bone box and then put them on a shelf in that crypt. Mary gets to the tomb early on Sunday morning, so early that it's still basically dark. But when she gets to the tomb, she can see that the stone is rolled back. And I think her fear is that someone has taken Jesus' body and in a final indignity going to do something else to Jesus' body. Remember that when Jesus was alive and going through his trials and suffering, there were people who were mocking him and abusing his body. And so her fear, I think, is that someone has stolen Jesus' body to make further sport of him now that he's dead. The other Gospels uh, mention that there are other women with Mary, but John chooses to focus on just her. And she goes back. i got to get the disciples that are nearby. So she goes and gets John and Peter. Now, John doesn't mention himself by name. He is consistently in his own Gospel. The other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. But she goes back and she tells them, look, I think the Lord's body is gone. I don't know what's happened. So off they go to investigate. Find out what's going on. And John is probably younger. Also, I kind of picture Peter as built kind of like a fullback. You know, good for sprints. Not so great over distance. <laughs> and uh, so John gets there earlier he beats peter to the tomb 
By this point, it's daylight, and they can see in, and they, they look in. John looks in, sees the cloths lying there. Peter, of course, being Peter, doesn't just stand outside. He goes in. And it, what you need to picture here is a tomb cut out of a rock uh, that would be very, much, very similar to a cave. And so he goes down into the tomb. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a grave like we have, just a hole in the ground. It's more of a cave cut into, cut in, quarried out of rock. And Peter goes in. And then after that, John goes in. And what's interesting is it says that th what they saw was the, all the linen still there. All the linen is still there. You know, there are some commentators who say that, well, what's, that, that the particular embalming process that they used with all of the aloe and spices and so forth that they would wrap bodies in would have actually caused the gauze that they wrapped the body in to get hard around the body and to retain the shape if the body was gone. I don't know if that's true. But it sounds logical to me, given the fact that they used roughly 75 pounds of this stuff to wrap the body and soak the linen. But in any case, they see the linen that, was that the body was wrapped in uh, by itself, and then the linen headband, the linen turban that was wrapped around Jesus' head, folded up in a place by itself. Now let me ask you this. If you are a grave robber, are you going to take the time to unwrap a dead body before you steal it? No, that wouldn't make sense. On top of that, the body is bloody. This is an executed, crucified, scourged, uh, pierced man. If you unwrap the body what are you going to be covered in all of the blood and bodily fluid of that executed man right so you would grab the body and go if you were a grave robber but the linen is all still there and so the bible says that when john saw this it was obvious it wasn't a grave robber's work the body was gone, but the linen was there, and so he believed. Because what was obvious to John is that the body had been inside the linen and had somehow passed through it. I don't know exactly what properties a resurrected body has, but we'll see later it has the ability to pass through solid surfaces. Jesus is able to go into rooms that are locked without opening the door, without crawling through a window. He just appears in the room. In the same way, he was apparently able to simply pass through the linen. And John also adds that they didn't understand exactly what was going on at the time because they didn't yet understand the scriptures about the resurrection of Jesus, but they both knew this, that the tomb is empty, and empty in a way that did not correspond 
with someone having stolen the body. And soon they'll get much greater understanding about what has happened. Let's read on. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she went, she, stu- she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in my hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, in this section of Scripture, we have four of the total of 11 of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances recorded. Uh, This this section uh, is critically important because it tells us what the disciples saw and when they began to see these things. Remember that, that this is Sunday when they first see him. This is, the, this, is, this is by our calendar count two days after they have watched Jesus be executed. 
And having seen someone executed as graphically as Jesus was executed, the last thing on their minds, literally the last thing, is that Jesus might be alive. Because, as we all know, dead men do not rise. And men put to death like this do not all of a sudden pop out of the grave and appear again. They don't. In fact, John alludes to that in the previous section when he says, as, that, as yet they did not understand the scriptures that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. He's telling them what we now understand about Jesus is not what we understood then. By the way, if you are making up the scriptures, in other words, if this is just an invented story, that's not the kind of detail you include. What you would say instead is, on the first day of the week, all the disciples were gathered outside the tomb. And we all stood around waiting. And when the Roman soldiers asked us, what are you doing here? They said, we'll, we said, well, you'll see. Just a minute. Just about the third day. Here we go. You know. They didn't do that. Why not? Because they were not expecting Jesus to rise. And Mary, when she finally gets back to the tomb, the other guys have run off to do whatever it is they were doing. They went home. Presumably Mary didn't run back. When she gets there, she is weeping inconsolably. You guys know what an ugly cry is? You ever done one? <laughs> right? Where you're just crying and crying and crying. You kind of get the great big heaving chest involved sobs. And you don't know even how to stop crying. Mary Magdalene is a woman who deeply loved Jesus. Jesus, the scriptures say, had, had delivered her from seven demons. And she understood the grace and the deliverance and the power of Jesus and the idea that not only is he dead, but someone has robbed his grave is just the most devastating thing that she can think of. Because she can't, you can't even go to his tomb anymore. Do people do that, by the way, still to this day? Go visit the grave of their loved one? What if you knew that someone had stolen their body? How would you feel? That's how Mary feels. And she's got these great racking sobs when she gets to the tomb. And she stoops to look in. And what does she see? She sees angels in white. And they say, why are you weeping? Because they know what she doesn't. That Jesus is not dead, He's alive. And all her reasons for sorrow are gone. And she says, because they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've laid Him. One of the early church uh, leaders, uh, John Chrysostom, was a pastor. And he suggests that at this point, it's not recorded in Scripture, but that the angels ask her to turn around. Turn around and look. 
Because Jesus is right behind her. And he says to her the same thing that the angels say. Which is, woman, why are you weeping? She is so distressed, she doesn't even recognize that it's Jesus at this point. Until he says her name. Mary. And then she falls, I think, at his feet and calls out, Rabboni, my teacher. My teacher. What's he tell her? He says, he says, don't cling to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. In other words, here's what, she's, here's what, here's what he's saying. She thinks, okay, this is the, on, this is the only time I'm going to see Jesus. And so she is holding on to him with a death grip. And what he's saying to her is, you're going to see me again. I haven't gone up to the Father for the last time yet. You'll know when that is. And in the meantime, I've got a job for you. I've got a job for you. I need you to go and tell my brothers what has happened, that I, am that I have been raised from the dead. And so off she goes to do exactly that. You know, again, this is the kind of detail that you wouldn't have included in the Scriptures if you were making this up. Because in those days, uh, culturally, legally, a woman could not testify in court and be counted as a valid witness. Yet, you know what the Scripture records over and over and over? That the first people to see Jesus raised from the dead, who they were? They were all women. Again, if you're making this up, that's not what you would say. You only write that if that's exactly what happened. And over and over, the Scriptures affirm it was women who were the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They were, after all, the ones who were the most faithful to follow Jesus. The picture you get of the disciples, the twelve, the, all the men, is a bunch of knuckleheads, mostly, right? They have their moments, but mostly they don't quite get it in the same way that the women do. And Jesus commissions her to go do ministry, to go and tell what is going on. And so all the disciples gather, well, most of the disciples, not Judas, who is dead at this point, and not Thomas either. Quite possibly they're in the upper room where they had eaten on Thursday night. The doors are locked out of fear that they all might be arrested next. Remember, Jesus was put to death as a rebel and as a leader of, a, of an insurrection. That was the charge of the Roman authorities against him. And so the natural thing, having rounded up and killed the leader, would be to then round up all the followers so they, they're meeting together. But they're meeting in fear of what might happen next. Thomas isn't even with him. I think he's, he's like, you know what, guys? No point in all of us being rounded up together. And besides that, I saw Jesus die. I'm out. I, I, you know, I thought that we were going to have this, this great and glorious kingdom and that we were going to reign with him when he established it, but clearly the man is dead. That's not going to happen. I'm out. 
So he's gone. And everybody else is there and gathering, and Jesus appears. Just as his body could pass through the grave clothes, apparently Jesus' body can appear inside of a locked room. When he appears, you know what he says? Look at verse 21. This is beautiful. Or actually, look at verse 19. Peace be with you. My understanding is that's a traditional Middle Eastern greeting. It's translated for us into Greek. But probably he said the very traditional Middle Eastern greeting of Shalom Aleichem. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. In other words, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Not, not just of the authorities, but also of me, because I am with you. I'm with you. Peace be with you. And then when he says this, he shows them the wounds on his hands, the wounds in his side, and says, see, it's really me. By the way, I think Jesus is the only person who in the kingdom of the Father will still carry scars and wounds from His life here on earth. I think if you get to heaven and you're missing teeth, you will not be missing teeth in glory. Okay? If you have a bad hip, you won't have one in glory. If your hair has uh, turned gray or turned loose, what there is of it, right? You'll have your hair back, right? All these things. I don't know exactly how old we will be, but we will not be, we'll not experience aging in the same way. We won't be frail. We'll dwell forever with the Lord in a renewed and restored body. But Jesus carries His as marks of His glory and as marks of His triumph. And He invites them to see See, it's really me. It's really me. And I really am victorious over death. And he is. And they go and they tell Thomas, Hey man, you will not believe it. What the women said is true. Jesus is alive. We saw him. We saw him. We saw his hands and his side. And, and we know it's really him. And Thomas says, well, unless I see for myself, I will not believe. I will not believe. Well, you know, the reason why Thomas is not there, we, we don't, we're not told. Maybe it's because his hopes for what Messiah would do and be didn't line up with what happened to Jesus. Maybe he felt like a fool for following him all this time. We don't know. But he is slow to believe what all the other disciples tell him. He wants evidence. He wants to see for himself. And he knows that in the normal course of things, dead people do not rise. That crucified men do not come back to life. And so Jesus gives him eight days to think it over. Think about that. 
eight days to think over what these guys have been telling him. Eight days later, they're all gathered again, and this time Thomas is there. I think he's hoping. I think he's hoping that what they told him is really true. Because the guy who had left the group is now back part of it again. And Jesus appears again. And what does he say? He says, Thomas, looky here. You see? Stick your hands in. Right here. Take a look. Do you see? Do you see? And then you have what is meant to be the literary climax of the book where Thomas falls to Jesus' feet and says, My Lord and my God. Because Thomas is slow to believe, but he is not slow to understand the implications of a resurrected Savior. He knows that Jesus is not simply His Lord, the one He followed, but that a man who is raised from the dead... A man who can beat death, there's only one way that could be, and that is that that person must be, in fact, God. And so he falls at his feet in worship. Jesus is not simply my Lord. He is my Lord and my God. And Thomas believes in an instant. Isn't that a beautiful moment? In an instant, his faith becomes one of the highlights of this entire book. And Jesus says something very pointed to him. He says, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus in that statement is challenging Thomas, but he is also pronouncing a blessing on everyone who has not seen what these men saw who has not seen what these women saw and yet believe anyway through their testimony because it is true. You have Jesus' blessing on you if you have not seen these things as they did and yet believe anyway. And then the text concludes here in chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. The last two, these last two verses give us the reason why did John write this Gospel? John is the last of the disciples to survive he survives in the, into the 90s A.D. He's probably the youngest of the group, and he lives the longest. All the other Gospels are written prior to the destruction of the temple. John's is most likely written at the end of his life afterwards. And he says, why, let me tell you why I wrote this book. It was so that having seen what Jesus did, the things that He said, the the signs that He performed that you may believe, even though you didn't see as we did, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. What are the signs that that John included? Do you remember them? There are seven of them in this book. You saw, first of all, Jesus turn water into wine. Then you see Him heal a synagogue's official son 
from a deadly illness. Then you see a man healed who had been born, who had been crippled in his feet for 38 years. You see him feed the 5,000. You see him heal a man born blind. You see him raise Lazarus from the dead. And then you see what? One last one. The resurrection of Jesus himself. Because Jesus was not simply able to call dead men from the grave, he was himself able to get out of the grave. If that does not seal it for you, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, I don't know what else you want. I mean, honestly, right? Uh, Dead men do not rise. Jesus could raise them. And Jesus could walk out of his own tomb having been killed. When blood and water flowed out of the wound in his side, it was proof he was dead. (coughs) Really dead. That he didn't faint on the cross. He didn't have a blackout. He didn't slip into a coma. What had happened is that the pericardium sac around his heart had filled up with fluid, as it does when you suffer crucifixion, and his heart had filled with blood as it does when you're dead. And when they speared him, that sack and his heart were both pierced at the same time and blood and water flowed out. He was really dead. And then within 48 hours, he was alive. John gives us these signs. We've seen him speak to Nicodemus by night. We've seen him travel through Samaria so he could talk to one particular Samaritan woman. That he might cause her to understand that he is the Messiah and so that she might go into her village and proclaim Jesus Messiah and that that all of the people of that area would come to believe in him as the Messiah. We've seen him testify to his own identity as the bread of life, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the I Am who existed from eternity before Abraham, the Good Shepherd, the one who is one with the Father, the one who is the resurrection and the life, and the one who must be lifted up on the cross as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness that all might look to him and be saved. This is the Messiah. And there is no other. This is the Messiah. Some who are hearing this message need to recognize what John proclaims so eloquently for 20 chapters up to this. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. And having recognized that, believe in Him that you might have life. Men and women, boys and girls, This is the gospel. That Jesus Christ died to save sinners. And that all of us fit in that category. Every single one of us is a sinner. I've said this before. I'll say it again. If you all knew everything that Jesus knows about me and my past and my sometimes my present you probably wouldn't let me be your pastor. 
But if we knew everything about you that Jesus knows about you, we wouldn't let you come in here. So it all works out. It's fair, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Because guess what? Guess what? We are all deeply affected, racked from head to toe with sin and rebellion against God in every part of us. Our mind, our mouth, our body, our desires, our thoughts. What we think of as good instead of what God thinks. Every part of us is broken by sin. And Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, came to save sinners. Amen? And, and when the price had been fully paid, then Jesus was raised from the dead because death could not keep its hold on Him. Because He Himself was innocent of sin. And so He is raised to life because there's no way or death, which is the penalty of sin, to keep a hold of one who is completely innocent of it. And a price for us has been paid. Jesus suffered a horrific death for you and me that we might be spared a horrific death for all eternity for our sin. And we all richly deserve that. We richly deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. I deserve to go on a rocket ship. True story. Because you are worse than you believe. Worse than you know. And yet, more deeply loved than you realize. Because Jesus Christ came to save you and me. Because He loves us. And I do not understand why. I've said to my wife repeatedly that I do not understand the attraction that she has for me. Okay? I mean, truly, love is blind. Amen? <laughs> okay? I don't get it, but I'm very grateful for it. But you know what I'm even more grateful for? The fact that God, who knows everything there is to know about me, loves me with an unstoppable, eternal, everlasting, relentless love. That He has come after me, giving the life of His own Son to save us. And raising Him from the dead so that we could know that sin is fully paid. That I don't owe any more debt. And that Jesus is victorious over death. And that really matters. And let me tell you why. It matters because one day, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe hopefully 50 years from now, we're going to face down death too. You'll get a, you'll you'll get a, you'll go in to see the doctor, and he'll come out, and and, and you'll you'll have some tests done, and he'll come and sit in, come in with you, and he'll say something like this: Why don't you sit down? 
why don't you sit down? We've got some things we need to talk about. And you'll find out that you've got something, whatever it is. Why well, don't go to the doctor? Because then I have it, right? <laughs> but, uh, no, seriously, I, I go regularly. But, but we don't want to hear that, right? We don't want to hear that someone we loved was killed in a car accident or their house was struck by lightning and burned down within a minute or any number of a lot of horrid things that can happen to people. But one day, whatever the cause, we're all going to face down death and here's the great and glorious promise of the resurrection. That the resurrection tells us that death is not the end. That death is not the end. That death will not have final victory over us who believe in Jesus Christ. That Jesus has already stood on its neck and proclaimed His victory. And one day death itself will be put to death and we will live with Him eternally. That there is going to be a day when there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain anymore, and the old order of things will pass completely away. That every political system, every economic system, every system of rule and authority, every corruption of the natural world, every destruction of our bodies, Everything that is touched and tainted and marred and destroyed by sin will one day be reversed. And it has already begun to happen. How do we know? Because of the resurrection. Because the resurrection is God's promise that these things will one day come. That one day there will be a new creation. That one day we also will be a fully renewed creation before Him. That death will not be for us the final chapter, but it will be the doorway into a life that we cannot now imagine. That death is not the final word. That disease is not going to conquer anymore that we will not have those tears of pain anymore. That we will not stand next to someone who has just flatlined and have those great racking sobs rolling through our chest anymore. Because Jesus is raised from the dead and Jesus' power gives new life to all who put their trust in Him. And even death itself will be unwound. Even the curse on creation will be reversed. And nothing will remain of what sin has destroyed. It will all be made new. And that is the great and glorious promise of the resurrection. That this life and the way things are right now is not the way they will always be. And the resurrection of Jesus is God's seal and promise of that reality and that truth. And so we have hope. Not, not hope in the sense of, of conditional, you know, well, 
maybe this will happen, maybe it won't. We have biblical hope. The certainty based on faith in things that are true. That all this will occur one day for us. And that we will therefore one day stand before the throne. As the hymn writer said, faultless to stand before His throne. One day all of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our shame, even the memory of it will be wiped away. How do I know? Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and all who put their trust in Him have life in His name. Amen? Let's pray. And then we're going to sing Jesus paid it all. Which He did. Every bit of it. Jesus paid it all. And then we're going to see a couple of young people get baptized. Pastor Josh is going to lead us in that. And we're going to celebrate what that depicts. Which is that we have been buried in all of our sins. All of the things of which we're deeply ashamed and, and rightly so. All those things have been buried with Jesus. When Jesus died, so did all those things. And then Jesus was raised to new life in the same way we are raised to new life and have eternal and lasting hope forevermore as a result through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is about. That I have been buried with Christ and raised to new life and that I have eternal and lasting hope as a result of the resurrection. Amen? So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that we do have a certain, sure, and lasting hope that Jesus Christ has died for all of our sins. All of our guilt and sin and shame was laid on Him. All of the penalty that we deserved was poured out on His head. And every bit of it was paid, which is why our Savior proclaimed from the cross, it is finished. It was all paid. Because You love us so much that You sent the Son to bring us home. Father, we look forward to the day when we go home and we celebrate this morning the fact that in Jesus' resurrection we have the certain hope of our own resurrection to be with You. Father, help us to, to, uh, to live out our days in gratitude and joy over what Jesus has done for us though we did not deserve it and cannot earn it. And to allow the, the experience of grace that we have received to color how we relate to You and how we relate to other people around us. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.